This is The School Bell, brought to you by Independent Schools Queensland. We're the peak body promoting, supporting and developing Queensland's independent schools. It was important for me to find a school that was suitable for both my kids. Parents are very savvy about school choice, that independent schools are providing what parents want. If we truly want to do everything we possibly can for each student, the more we know about them, the better. Teachers actually are quite excited by data. Holistic education, one that develops all the dimensions of a child, I think is really key. As you prepare them for a world that's very different. Hello, I'm Shari Armistead, Director of Strategic Relations at Independent Schools Queensland, and welcome to The School Bell, a podcast about issues of importance to Queensland independent schools. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Dr Selena Fink, Selena is a teacher, author and school data consultant leading data-informed change for schools. Welcome, Selena. Thank you for having me. Data-informed change. Now, what does that mean? Um, I guess over the last decade in Australia, there's been an increasing call um, for educators to use evidence and data to inform practice. So um, I think long gone are the days where we went with what our gut told us. Um, while that's still really important, it's what I do with schools is um, I support schools in identifying what types of data will actually help confirm that those gut feelings are accurate. Um, and then thinking about the ways or the steps and actions that can come about as a result of collecting the data in the first place. So ideally, we want to use it to um, ultimately benefit each and every young person in our school community. So it's about um, working with schools to develop those strategies so that people can do that. You have a book with a fantastic title, Using and Analyzing Data in Australian Schools, Why, How and What? I love the questions. <laughs> so can you summarise that key messages out of that book? Yeah, so um, I guess the why for me is always about the individual students. And I think, um, unfortunately, a lot of the data conversations in Australia are really dominated by fear and accountability and tracking and comparison. Um, and that's actually not why I think data should ever be used in a school. Um, if we really want school communities to flourish, then it needs to be about each and every student that we teach. I mean, that's why we got into teaching in the first place. Um, so I just wanted to, I guess, start the book with that because I wanted to be able to articulate that lens that I come um, or my approach I guess is to how I encourage schools to use data and the how and the what um, really steps through in the book it's um, it actually started by me creating cheat sheets for people that I worked with so I had teachers come to me and, and say this is the type of thing I'd like to be able to do could you give me a hand and I was being asked similar questions over and over so I start started creating cheat sheets and so the how and the what um, I guess is a collection of 35 of those. Um, so some of them are to do with using data walls, some of them are triangulating NAPLAN and PAT and subject results. Um, there's a whole stack of, I guess, different options for data use. It's not, you know, the list is not exhaustive. There's a million other options that people could use, but for, um, I guess, for educators that are looking for some ideas or some strategies of where to start, um, it provides that. The problem is there is a lot of data, isn't there? there is. How do you know what to use? And and even if you did know what to use, it's just finding that time. Is there some of those sort of trips in there too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're right. I haven't been in a school yet that said to me, we don't have enough data. Um, it's always, you know, that there's too much and people don't know what to do with it. And I guess when the school or the, the teachers... Um, 
the reason for the data use becomes clear and they're able to articulate that, then um, teachers need to be really discerning in the types of information that they'll use. So, for example, I often talk about... Um, you know, if you wanted to improve the writing results of year nine because you the data was indicating that those results were quite low, then you wouldn't necessarily also look at general ability testing results and numeracy testing results. And and I think um, sometimes teachers are scared to discard some of the additional noise that's around. But as long as you've got three or more sets of information about the element or the aspect that you're investigating, then that's actually enough. Um, but it is about then what steps happen in terms of visualisation and, and how that data is brought together, um, how it's shown, and then what are the actions and the steps that, um, or what, what are the trends in the data and the stories in the data that we can see and what do our students need us to do a little bit differently to cater to their needs. I've heard it described before as start with a question yeah. and then when you know what the question is, then you can work out what the data you need is to find the answer. Is that a fair yeah, assessment? absolutely. Yeah, you need to know what you're looking for and why you're looking for it um, and then be really discerning about the types of data that will actually answer that question for you. There is such a lot of data. There. <laughs> yeah, that there is really the, is. <laughs> and the fear factor, I would imagine, is... Um, how do you make it that, well, you've tried very hard here by having the very simple title and the, <laughs> the answer the questions and make their life simple to help teachers. Um, so have you seen some improvement and what improvement in student outcomes that you can talk to about use of particular data? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and look, there's I've got examples of schools that have significantly improved um, student engagement, student buy-in to the teaching of literacy and numeracy. Um, and the way that that looks is that the school ends up with increased or improved NAPLAN results, um, you know, year on year. There's so many examples of that, um, but it also doesn't have to be that big and it's not always about whole school change. Um, it could be that a teacher goes and looks at reading comprehension results on, a, on one of their students that they know are struggling and they see that their reading comprehension results are, are really low and what that does, that little alert or that flags to the teacher that that student is, pro is possibly finding it too difficult or really difficult to access the text that they're providing in that class. So by making a really small shift in differentiating practice, maybe cutting down the amount of text and supporting with word banks and vocabulary lists and that sort of thing, um, you know, that's what this is about. That would have a massive impact for that single um, student and that's just as important as making an improvement to a whole cohort. So what sort of improvements have you seen or examples you can give in particular in Queensland schools? Um, so... I, I certainly have seen with an increased focus on explicitly teaching writing an improvement in the um, NAPLAN results at the end of or each year um, with you know more structured um, and explicit teaching of numeracy skills. I've certainly seen improvements in PAT testing, um, in NAPLAN testing. The other space that I'm working a, a lot in is even uh, well-being data. So schools are starting to increasingly collect more information about the well-being of their staff and students. And we know that well-being is inextricably linked to student achievement. And so the schools that I've worked with that have started tracking well-being data um, have started to actually see students, you know, even more frequently achieving the goals that they set for themselves. Um, obviously, improved ATARs and exit results are ideal, but as I said before, even those small wins that happen in year seven, eight, nine, where a student has a better connection with a teacher because they think that they understand more about what their learning needs are, that 
that impacts um, their outcomes. So there's certainly, yeah, I've seen a lot of um, positive, and I've got a lot of positive stories about the ways that it's impacted at different levels. So what role do students have to play in understanding their own educational data? Yeah, this is um, another element of the work that I do. And again, um, depending on the culture of the school and the position that they're at on the data journey, there's very, um, there's really varied um, engagement of students in the data conversation. So some schools, for example, have a regular, um, say once a term, they have mentoring conversations where students come in and they're able to access um, a dashboard that has got all of their subject results, it's got some formative assessment data, and they have a conversation with their mentor and they set goals and track their progress based on that data. Now, I think that that's the perfect model. Um, but I don't see that happening across all schools and I don't see it happening across all year levels. So some schools are doing it really well in year 11 and 12 or just in year 12, but it's not yet widespread. Um, but, you know, we know the, about the power of feedback and the power of involving students in the learning journey. And I, I think that that extends to the use of data. Um, in one of my teaching roles about five years ago, you know, when we brought students into the QCS conversation about how they w were able to improve their results and what that meant for their tertiary entrance ranking, the conversations that those boys had with one another to motivate each other, you know, their attendance sometimes dropped on on QCS practice days and they were going to their mates saying, hey, can you, you know, we need you here, we need to try and lift um you know, your attendance, we need to lift our results. That's far more powerful than any teacher getting up and saying to a year 12 cohort, we need you to band together and, um, you know, and come together on this. So there's a lot of power when students engage in the conversation for them individually. I think it builds a lot of their metacognition around their achievement and understanding of their strengths and weaknesses. Um, but at, at school and cohort levels, there's also um, incredible potential when students are involved in the conversation. What about parents? What's their role? Do you actually think that they should be sharing that data and the especially comparative and progression data? Yeah, um, I actually think that it should be shared with parents. Um, and there's, again, there's really different views on this across the board and different schools are doing it differently. Um, I'm currently, a couple of days a week, I'm learning analytics advisor at Brisbane Grammar School. Um, and they're grappling with this at the moment where they're making um, their year 12 data available on their online portal to parents for the first time um, and that's you know it's it's a challenge because there's a certain level of data literacy that parents need as well so the school have had to be really mindful of uh, as well as providing access what are additional support and what information are we providing to parents um, so that they can access it I, I think that the more sh the more data we share the better um, I think that we can bridge the gap with data literacy and we can teach parents how to use it and how to have those um, really um, positive and like effective conversations with their sons and daughters um, but I am also aware that we can't just jump into it and make everything <laughs> available no. tomorrow because but the, they don't have the, the skills literacy is the key isn't it the data literacy yeah, absolutely and I know obviously there's a lot of data about the benefits of parent engagement and yeah. getting them to continue that learning journey at home yes and to uh, work in partnership with schools and teachers so I guess this is another aspect of that yeah absolutely and um, one of the departments that I'm working with there actually at Brisbane Grammar they um, are looking to introduce a similar formative uh, task where it's reported online automatically every two weeks um, and while on one hand some of the staff kind of said oh well will this be extra work for us if we're reporting every fortnight 
But on the other hand, um, they said to me, well, when students achieve below 50%, we email home. Or if a student gets above 90%, we email home. So I think when we're talking about what we're doing in the data space, we need to be really mindful of if we're adding a job, if we're adding something extra to already really busy teachers, we need to think about something that we can take away. So in that instance, by reporting every two weeks on formative tasks, those teachers no longer have to go and email the parents for underperforming students. They don't have to reach out in that way because the information is then automatically provided to them. Um, So it does, I guess, put a little a little bit more ownership on the parents being engaged in the conversation um, yes. rather than being led by the teachers. Well, also, as you said, it's that whole, the old conundrum about is it more work or is it less work yeah, <laughs> in the long run? <laughs> What's the key message you want to give about uh, data and, and its use? Um, there are some great things that are happening in the data space in schools, even in schools where leadership teams are not all that comfortable or they're not really sure what their data agenda looks like yet. Um, I can almost guarantee that there'll be people within the school that are doing a really great job with it. So um, I really think that schools need to start to capitalise on the wisdom of the people that they've got and start to look internally and, and um, think about the ways that they can share that experience and that practice because if people aren't sure how to even have a data conversation in the first place, um, they're not going to miraculously get better at it if they're not exposed to it. The other thing I guess in terms of weaknesses and threats um, is very much around staff culture. I think if school leaders model uh, fear and they're, they're fearful of the data, they lock the data down so people don't have access to it, I think that sends a really strong message to middle leaders and teachers that there is something to be scared of. Um, so one of the things I am a keen advocate of is a data democracy where da- where everybody within the school community has got access to all the data at any time. Um, and what that means is that people can access it, use it, play with it, um, interpret it how they like, but that it can actually be used by teachers in the classroom. Um, I think once we start to move to a data democracy, then people, as much as it's very scary and it requires a lot of vulnerability on the leader's part, um, I think the messaging to staff and everybody within the school community is that data is actually here to stay. Um, It is actually, inherently it can be used really positively and um, it can actually improve the outcomes for our young people and and that's why we're doing it. So that's an opportunity, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, okay, I can understand with the data democracy argument, but also um, as someone who also deals with data internally at Independent Schools Queensland, Mm. There's also got to be data custodians, hasn't there? Yeah, and there's obviously some really sensitive information that you wouldn't be openly sharing. So in a school where there's a health centre or where there's counselling, you wouldn't make those um, that type of information available to everybody. But um, NAPLAN data, for example, um, in a lot of schools that is available to everybody. So all year five, seven, year nine data would be available to every teacher if they wanted um, to have a look. Um, But then there's other schools where that's not the case and it's one or two people are the custodians. And I guess my my reflections on that would be if, if students are really struggling in writing or reading comprehension, if there's an element of literacy or numeracy that they're finding really difficult, um, why would we not want teachers to know that? And I think if we truly want to do everything we possibly can for each student, the more we know about them, the better. And if we can see it as an opportunity for us to help them, then, yeah, I, I think that we can start to move away from that sort of custodian of that type of data, of that that stuff that's not highly sensitive, um, and share it with teachers and encourage them to use it for the right reasons. Thank you very much. That's great, Selena. I really appreciate your time. No problems. Thanks for having me. 
You have been listening to The School Bell, an Independent Schools Queensland podcast. To learn more about Independent Schools Queensland, visit our website, isq.qld.edu.au. To catch our next episode or listen to some previous podcasts, you can subscribe to ISQ's The School Bell on iTunes or Google Play. You can also listen via our website or wherever you get your podcasts.